My name's Andrew Jenkinson. I'm a bariatric surgeon and I want Peak 40 Health. Welcome to Peak 40, the podcast that brings you the tips, tactics, and stories for living your best life in midlife. If you're in your mid-30s to 50s, Peak 40 is the place to get actionable advice on the nuances of nutrition, training, recovery, and mindset in midlife. For the full experience and other valuable resources, register for the Peak 40 weekly newsletter at drbubs.com forward slash peak 40 to enhance your lifestyle and start making midlife your best life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Peak 40 podcast. I'm your host, Mark Bubs. I'm excited today to be talking with Dr. Andrew Jenkinson, a general surgeon at Harley Street, London, specializing in bariatric and laparoscopic procedures. His interests include surgery for weight loss, diabetes, acid reflux disease, and surgical emergencies. He's a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons and holds a Master of Surgery title for his research thesis. He's also a member of the British Obesity and Metabolic Surgery Society, the International Federation of Surgery for Obesity, and the American Society for Metabolic and Bariatric Surgery. He's published over 50 research papers and is the author of a terrific new book called Why We Eat Too Much, The New Science of Appetite. In today's episode, we'll talk about the genetic component of obesity. How much does it really play a role? He'll discuss how bariatric surgery impacts satiety, and the answer to that may surprise you. We'll also look at how chronic inflammation from weight gain plays a really key role in regulating a lot of the hormones that control our satiety and appetite. Fascinating discussion here with Dr. Jenkinson. I think you'll really enjoy it. His book, again, is a terrific and in-depth look at all these factors that are controlling a key component of maintaining a healthy weight, which is appetite. All right, before we get started, our next Peak 40 Nutrition Coaching Group is kicking off now until January 31st. If you'd like to get leaner, improve your energy levels, and get fit in the new year using a sensible and sustainable approach, just head over to drbubs.com forward slash peak 40 to learn more and sign up. Our early bird rate is sold out, but you can still save $50 off using the code LEVELUP22. That's LEVELUP22. Also, a quick shout out to Progressive, who are sponsoring today's show. It's January. Most of us are making New Year's resolutions to improve our health and perhaps get leaner and lose some weight. A key pillar of my book, Peak 40, is making sure you hit your daily protein target to support health, muscle, and longevity. In a perfect world, we get all of our nutrition from food, but in the madness of midlife and today's 24-7 society, it's really difficult to do. Adding a whey protein powder to your morning smoothie around exercise or as part of your afternoon snack provides a quick and easy way to hit your daily protein target, support healthy weight loss, and overall health in a convenient, easy-to-use way. Progressive provides evidence-based supplements using high-quality ingredients to help you achieve your performance goals at work, home, and in the gym. Progressive has your protein needs covered. Progressive Harmonized Protein provides whey protein sourced from New Zealand and from cattle raised without the use of hormones, making it an easy, effective, and clean way of meeting your protein requirements. For listeners of the podcast, you can go to ProgressiveNutritional.com. That's ProgressiveNutritional.com. Use the promo code BUBS to claim your 10% off discount. Again, that's ProgressiveNutritional.com. Use the promo code BUBS and save 10% at checkout. We'll include all those links in the show notes as well. 
All right, let's get started my conversation with Dr. Andrew Jenkinson. Enjoy. Doc, appreciate you uh, carving out some time today. No problems, Mark. Listen, can we uh, kick things off here, maybe by giving listeners and viewers a little whirlwind tour of your background before we dive into all things why we eat? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm a bariatric surgeon, which means that I do surgery for people who are struggling so much with their weight that they become you know, severely obese. Uh, they come to my clinic, they ask me to either bypass or remove their stomach. Uh, so these are increasingly popular operations. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been a surgeon doing this type of surgery now for about 20 years. Uh, I work at UCLH, which is a big NHS hospital um, in central London. Uh, also do some private work as well. But the whole sort of interaction with, um, you know, patients who suffer with obesity really stimulated my interest in the um, the whole background of our understanding of obesity. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is what's, you know, formed the ideas of doing some research for this book. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fascinating read and obviously a, a concern around the world, isn't it? I mean, as we gain more weight and mm -hmm. obesity and overweight is what two thirds now in a lot of major countries and that predisposes to all sorts of the chronic conditions and metabolic conditions. And, you know, it's interesting when you open your book on the genetic side and the epigenetic side and you talk about people who are, let's say, lucky, obesity resistant versus some mm -hmm. who are obesity vulnerable versus others who might actually be more obesity sensitive. Can you unpack that a little bit for folks? Yeah. Um, there's, so we know, so the, the concept, the main concept in the book is that people have their own individual weight set points. Uh, so this is, people sort of know what that is. I mean, if you suffer with being overweight or obese, you know that if you lose a load of weight, 10, 5, 10, 15 kilograms on uh, increasingly severe dietary measures, that actually eventually your weight will be pulled back towards your weight set point. So mm -hmm. this is why dieters recurrently fail. Um, but actually quite a lot of people never have that experience. Their weight set point is set at a sort of healthy level. And a lot of sk skinny people, including me when I was younger, can't put weight on, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. um, so we have this sort of uh, genetically set weight. Um, and we, we know it's, there's a lot of evidence that it is genetically set from twin and adoption studies. So very eloquent studies looking at uh, unfortunate sets of uh, identical twins that, you know, for whatever circumstances had to be separated at birth and brought up in different homes. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, identical DNA. And when you look at these um, offspring as they become adults, the 20, 30 years later, you find that there is a, a, a I think it's a 75% concordance uh, of their body mass index of so their weight. So it's almost similar to, you know, you would expect identical twins to be the same height and have the same eye color. Yeah. But actually, even if they're brought up in different houses, uh, they will have pretty similar body mass index. So they'll be either skinny or fat, depending on their genes. So prior to these studies, a lot of people would blame, you know, the home environment for someone either becoming obese or not becoming obese or becoming, you know, remaining fit. But actually, these uh, studies prove that that's not really the case. It's much more to do with your genes uh, than your home environment. Home environment produces about a 10% effect on your body mass index. So you can have someone uh, who's brought up in a relatively healthy eating, eating and play environment and someone who's brought up in 
an unhealthy eating and play environment. But if they have the same genes, they're going to end up pretty similar as far as the body mass index is concerned. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a striking finding. And, um, you know, as we think about genetics and then, of course, epigenetics and these changes that are going to happen a little bit more quickly from generation to generation, can we actually even talk about bariatric surgery? Because when we talk about, you know, maintaining weight or losing weight, obviously appetite's a huge part of this, whether, you know, how hungry we feel, um, how satiated we feel after meals or lack thereof. And of course, there's some surprising findings on actually what bariatric surgery does to, the, to, to appetite. Can you share a little bit of that? Yeah, sure. So we have an emerging understanding that, you know, our weight set points. So if this individual weight that I mentioned before that, our body tries to maintain it, thinks it is, uh, you know, a healthy weight, even if it's obese, it, it thinks it wants to stay that way. If we lose weight, it's going to drag us back up there. And two factors will drag us back to our weight set points. One is our appetite and satiety, so our drive to eat or not eat, and that's hormonally driven. And the second one is our, meta our basal metabolism, so the amount of energy, even without getting out of bed, the amount of energy we burn off. And there's a lot of emerging evidence that uh, hormones from, as far as, a, as, far as the drugs to eat and stop eating are concerned, that hormones from our stomach and our small intestine or guts actually have a profound effect on our behavior. And this is why the new types of bariatric surgery, the gastric bypass and the sleep hysterectomy, where, where we remove or bypass the stomach, actually work, they have a profound effect on those hormones. So for instance, there's, I'll, I'll mention three hormones. The first is ghrelin, mm -hmm. which is produced by the body and the top floppy part of the stomach. And this is a hormone that if we miss our, you know, a couple of meals or we go fasting for a couple of days, uh, will increase significantly in our bloodstream. It will go to our hypothalamus um, and it will stimulate uh, voracious sort of drive to eat food seeking behavior seeking out high calorie foods um, so ghrelin is very important to stop us you know losing weight if we if we miss a couple of meals now once we do a sequestrectomy where we actually remove part of the stomach where where that hormone is is, is secreted the ghrelin levels drop significantly so suddenly the patient sort of feels as if their appetite has just been switched off in the brain Wow. Um, they're losing weight seamlessly because their stomach is smaller. They can't eat as much, but they don't feel that, you know, that rebound appetite that, you know, is a real cause of dietary recidivism. Um, the second two hormones that are um, affected in gastric bypass and bariatric surgery are mm -hmm. satiety hormones. So they are called peptide YY, PYY, and glucagon-like peptide 1, so GLP-1. And both of these hormones are produced by the small bowel and they're sort of like uh, they're secreted when when the small bowel senses food within it so i.e the person has been eating particularly protein though that they're secreted next after 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 sensing and again they go to the hypothalamus and they are the trigger to stop eating because we obviously have to have a trigger to stop eating otherwise we're eating all the time so these are really important hormones that will stop us eating and with both the sucrostrectomy and the gastric bypass, both of those hormones increase substantially. So people have the perception after a really small snack of that sort of, I don't really want to eat. You know, I can, I don't even have any urge to eat at lunch. They have to sort of 
put their alarm on to eat, to eat, to remind them to eat and get some nutrition in their lunchtime. Yeah, incredible. Um, the sort of the so that's PYY and GLP one. GLP one as well as well as causing satiety increases the uh, effectiveness of insulin. So you don't it increases almost the strength of insulin. So you don't need as much of it. Uh, and as is explained in the book, insulin is really, really critical in uh, changing a weight set point um, via this process called leptin resistance. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, a couple of things I think about there. I mean, one of them is just the importance of, of protein as the building blocks. With this, if those key sensors are really responding more predominantly to, to something like protein, it definitely hammers home that message around, you know, when we look at the general population, a lot of people still struggle to hit the RDA of, of 0.8 grams per kilo. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people, uh, we've, we've understand for a long time that, you know, uh, saturated fat and protein do increase satiety. And now we sort of know why it increases these gut hormones and acts hypothalamically. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, tr tremendous. And then, you know, you mentioned leptin and obviously, as people gain weight and a significant amount of weight, that leptin signal doesn't start, to, it doesn't work as well to become resistant, as you mentioned to that. And of course, insulin, that signaling doesn't work as well. And and due, due to this chronic inflammation that we that is the milieu that starts to increase and that noise gets so loud that these signals really can't be heard appropriately. Can you talk a little bit about how TNF alpha plays a role in this whole story? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, you mentioned leptin resistance mm -hmm. and this is the absolute crux of understanding obesity. And this is the thing that actually even most doctors don't understand. And it's probably the reason that we have, you know, societal prejudice against people who are struggling with obesity. Yeah. Um, so leptin is the hormone that comes from our fat cells. So the more fat we have, the higher the level of leptin in the bloodstream. Um, and leptin levels are sensed by the hypothalamus, which controls our eating and our metabolism. So the amount of energy we take in, the amount of energy we, 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 we expend. And the hypothalamus is very, very sensitive. It wants to know how much fuel or energy or fat we have on board. It's very important. I mean, it's, this is like a crucial you know, um, survival sort of uh, signal. Yeah, through evolution, um, we had to really know how much fuel we had, didn't we? Exactly. Well, all, all, all um, species have this, this sense. They need to know how much energy is on board. And leptin is our crucial signal. And the higher the leptin level, if you do start to increase weight, so you go on holiday or whatever, and, um, you're all inclusive for a couple of weeks, you put on a few pounds or kilograms, um, your leptin level will go up and the hypothalamus will sense it uh, and it will think, oh, actually, we're okay. We've got enough energy on board. We can like ratchet down on the appetite uh, and we can just slowly sort of slightly increase our metabolic rate, um, just burn up a little bit more energy seamlessly. Mm -hmm. um, and this is why a lot of people, um, when they've, Put a little bit of weight on during their holiday actually it's quite easy to lose it they think that maybe they're you know a few sessions in the gym or a little bit of uh, yeah. the latest diet is working but actually it's not it's the leptin signal that it's actually working for them um, if you become sick and uh, you lose some weight your leptin signal goes down your leptin levels go down the hypothalamus responds to it it will give you a voracious appetite you're going to go out you're going to you know eat extra meals, chocolate, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're going, to be, you're going to feel very lazy, metabolic rate's gone down. So this is the way that leptin signaling sort of uh, keeps us at a particular weight set point. When we have an environment where there is too much sugar and uh, refined carbohydrates, 
we have a population whose insulin levels on average are much, much higher um, because insulin obviously is, is produced in response to, to sugar and carbohydrate intake. Mm. Um, insulin acts on the same, um, insulin signals on the same um, cell as, as of the hypothalamus that leptin does. So it has a joint signal. Um, the more insulin you have, the, the weaker the leptin signal. Um, so you have this situation uh, in populations in, in Western societies with you know, highly refined food and high sugar foods, where they have high leptin levels, they are fat, they have far too much energy on board, but because their insulin levels are so high, that, that signal is being obscured, so the, your brain can't, can't see it, it can't tell that you're carrying too much weight. Um, and this is a thing called leptin resistance, which is what happens with end-stage obesity. Mm-hmm. But it's not just insulin that causes that, it's the other thing that you mentioned, inflammation. So inflammation uh, is a secondary effect of uh, obesity. So every person who's obese will have a low-grade inflammation in their body. And this produces a, 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 an inflammatory factor called TNF-alpha, which has been shown, uh, one, to uh, you know, interfere with insulin signaling, so you need more insulin, which can affect the leptin yep. and the hypothalamus, but also has a direct effect on inflammation in the hypothalamus and again, poor signaling and this, this um, situation where your leptin levels are high, but actually your brain can't, can't, uh, sing, can't sense it. And the, analog- the great analogy in the book to help people understand is like if you're driving along the highway or the, the motorway um, and you see that your gas tank meter, your petrol meter is on empty, it's flashing. You start panicking, you think, oh, God, I've got to fill up. You know, so you, you look for the next uh, petrol station. When you open the, 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 the tank and start to fill up, you realize it's already full. Mm. You know? The problem is the gas tank meter, the petrol meter is broken. And this is what leptin resistance is. This, you know, this actual feeling of being hungry, this feeling of having an empty tank, but actually having, having a, a, a tank that's far too full having a, a, an oil tanker's worth of energy on board when you feel like you're on empty. That's what that term is. And that totally explains obesity. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, as you circle back to your obesity vulnerable types and your obesity sensitive, obviously this just amplifies everything, doesn't it, in terms of yeah, yeah. hunger. It's a scary condition. I mean, obesity, I mean, obviously I've spoken to thousands of patients uh, with it from a very... Um, objective point of view, because I'm from uh, you know, my dad's skinny, whatever, uh, I can't put weight on. So very, very objective, having never been on a diet. Actually, this is quite a scary condition, you know, not being able to get out of it, transiently being able to step out with some like, you know, really, really calorie restrictive diet or whatever, but actually always being pulled back to that weight set point and that, you know, uh, societal perception that there's something wrong with you. Why can't you pull yourself together? Why can't you go on a diet or eat proper food and uh, or go to the gym? You know, and this is a, something that's affecting a third of our populations, it's causing terrible, you know, uh, unhappiness and ill health. You know, type two diabetes, blood pressure, cholesterol, and things. Yeah, I mean, it's it's staggering. And as you mentioned, you know, when the food environment is ultra processed around us and them, then it's you know, it just amplifies this. To your point, there's almost nowhere to turn and predisposing now all the chronic conditions both physical and mental the whole thing is mark that the reason that our diet is infused with uh vegetable oils that are very stable and also with sugars and refined carbohydrates is this historical uh 
you know, um, difficulty with saturated fat being linked with cardiac risk, um, which again is totally unpicked in the book. You know, this research was biased and flawed, uh, but so successful in changing the, you know, the psyche of basically the whole world, associating, for instance, a juicy um, fatty steak with producing, you know, furring up the arteries and cardiac risk, or, you know, too much sausages or too much cheese or too many eggs, you know, we still have this in our psyche. But actually this research, as is totally unpicked in the book, is flawed. Um, and there is increasing evidence that natural saturated fats, you know, from uh, red meat and dairy products are not a massive cardiac risk. Um, maybe a very small risk for some people with high cholesterol, uh, natural high cholesterol levels. But actually the real risk, cardiac risk, is sugar and refined carbohydrate, which increase triglyceride levels and you know, give you the risks that way. Mm. Um, because governments, you know, had this wrong idea in the 1980s that you know saturated fat was going to cause their population to 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 to, to start dying up from cardiac disease, they gave us the you know the dietary guidelines in the 1980s to reduce saturated fat and replace it with heart healthy vegetable oils, so flora, you know, all of these rubbish margarines, totally artificial foods. Um, and sugar and refined carbohydrate. They said whole grains, but no one really eats whole grains, you know. So, and this is when obesity started taking off, you know, from the 80s onwards. We didn't have a massive problem, uh, uh, certainly when I was growing up uh, in the 1980s when I was in school. It wasn't a big problem in the early 80s, it wasn't a big problem with obesity. So, um, yeah, it took off then, you know, with those dietary guidelines. Uh, it was a little bit of a, a big experiment on, uh, you know, public health and it went wrong. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say segue into that. It's interesting you note, I mean, in, in Spain by 2040, they predicted to be the longest living people in the world. And of course, they consume above the 10% recommendation, which still exists in some countries for saturated fat intake. And of course, the French aren't far behind. And these are countries that are living the longest. And so when we talk about dietary patterns, and you alluded to it here, but um, we had Dr. Stevan Van Fleet from Duke University on uh, earlier this season talking about how, you know, the quality of one's diet influences, obviously, and the quality of the saturated fats and where they're coming from has a big influence on this. So could you talk a little bit about that diet quality piece? About just going back to saturated fats, some of yeah. the, there is still some um, nutritional and epidemiological research um, connecting high saturated fat levels in a For diet, sure. the Western diet with sure. uh, cardiac uh, risk. But the problem is that they sort of, they include things like palm oil, which is, you know, it's, it's now you know, increasingly um, used in all you know, processed foods because it's like got great texture and it tastes okay. Yeah. And it's really cheap. But that's, you know, that, that, is, that is a cardiac risk, palmatic acid, palm oil. Um, and that's muddied the waters as far as the, the sort of understanding of, you know, natural saturated fats are not palm oil. They are, you know, the, the saturated fats you get from dairy products and red meat. Um, so yeah, towards the end of the book, I sort of give some just simple advice on, you know, how to reduce your weight set point, not going on a diet, but actually just reduce the amount of insulin blocking leptin, the amount of vegetable oils blocking leptin, improve your cortisol level, you know, mm -hmm. um, and it's yes, clean eating, uh, basically, um, the advice is to go to the, to get your food from the butchers, the green grocers and the, 
uh, fishmongers. If you get your food from there, you'll be fine. to go wrong, right? And you'll lose a lot of weight if you're suffering. Yeah, chuck away the vegetables, you know, uh, and that's the main, you know, and throw away the sugar foods and refined carbohydrates if you can. Just have it as a treat now again. If you can do that and just change the way you, you eat, maybe not, not snack so much, you know, a little bit of slight intermittent fasting or sort of 16-8 type um, uh, way of eating. Go towards that sort of traditional way of having two or three you know, really hearty meals, not snacking too much between meals and having proper foods. That's the type of eating uh, that will actually change people's weight set points. So people, and, uh, and I got a lot of feedback after the book. I've got hundreds of people who come back to me and say, look, I've tried this. It's like, I've lost a lot of weight. I've tried all the diets before. So uh, yeah, that's the, that's the clean eating thing. And, and you know, you can't really do it unless you take time uh, to shop for fresh foods um, and to cook it. Uh, the other thing that the book looks at is if you, uh, you know, if you if you're very sedentary, if you don't do any exercise, if it's almost like a cultural thing that you don't do any exercise, and we look at the example is, you know, particularly um, women in the Middle East culturally, you know, um, they're not really supposed to do a great deal in the daytime. You know, a lot of them have um, help. Um, they don't even have to look at their children. They just sit around. They get sarcopenia, so they get the muscle wasting. Yeah. And these are the women who actually suffer the most with obesity in, you know, in the Middle East. So over 50% of the Arab population, female, are, um, are now obese, over 50%, with about a quarter of the population diabetic. And all of it, I think, is due to sarcopenia. The only exercise they get is going around the shopping mall. Um, yeah. But... Um, tough i mean the muscle obviously a sponge for glucose and yeah yeah you know, uh, i'm actually going to be um going to be studying your book mark <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, which i just bought because actually i mean my book didn't really delve too much into muscle because uh, i think it is very important um but i'm going to try and learn a little bit more and uh and see how i can fit some of my ideas uh, with your ideas in that oh, tremendous well if you had to leave folks with one uh, one tip to be able to support sort of better health going into 2022, uh, what might you what might you say? So it'd probably be a couple of tips. So the first would be the greengrocers, butchers, and fishmongers diet. Cook your food, don't snack, have a relatively early night, look after yourself, you know, sleep well, and do a little bit of exercise that you actually enjoy, you know, two or three times a week. If you do that, you're going to reduce your weight set point. If you're just suffering a little bit with overweight, which is actually what the book's designed for, you're going to lose a stone or two and actually have a better quality of life. 100%. I mean, it's amazing how simple but not easy. But if you do repeat that, just as you mentioned, that consistency, then it's amazing what people can achieve. So again, Doc, I really appreciate you carving out some time. Where could people stay connected with, with some of your work? And uh, obviously um, Amazon and the major booksellers all they can pick up the book. Yeah, so the book, I've got a copy here, so I'll do a plug. Yeah. I read too much on Amazon uh, and major booksellers, including Tesco. Um, if you Google me, you can you get my email address. You can ask questions. Tremendous. Well, we'll include all those links in the show notes so people can get a hold of you as well. And uh, again, really appreciate you carving out some time today. Thanks, Mark. Cheers for your interest, mate. Thank you for listening to the Peak 40 podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It's a very big help to the show. Got a question? 
follow at Dr. Bubs on Instagram and send me a note in the comment section or hit reply to our weekly Peak 40 newsletter. Fantastic. Have a great week, everyone. See you next time. The Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. Thank you.